Monday, March 26th, and this is Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, and joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Stock Advisor Jason Moser, from Motley Fool Inside Value Joe Mager. Happy Monday, guys. Definitely. Happy Monday. Uh, We're going to talk Netflix. We're going to dip into the Fool mailbag, but we're going to start with Lionsgate Entertainment. Shares up 5% this morning. Shares are trading at an all time high. Shocker. The Hunger Games took in $155 million over the weekend. This is basically the anti-John Carter. Um, And no vampires. And no vampires. Zombies? No zombies? And you're welcome. You're welcome, Lionsgate shareholders, because I contributed to uh, just a little (laughs) bit of that $155 million. Um, But to get back to the stock, Jason, I mean, shares at an all-time high. This is the first of four Hunger Games movies. So presumably there's more money coming down the line. What do you think? Is, is I, I now the time to jump in? Mm, I mean, I guess the time <laughs> to jump in would have been last Friday or Thursday, but I mean, I, I would, you know, we know that the market is forward looking, so I suspect that part of the enthusiasm is that because this has been so successful and there are, what, three more iterations coming out? Three more. They're yep. probably expecting some success there as well. I've not read the books or seen the movies, I don't know much about the storyline. Uh, but Lionsgate is also responsible for a lot of, you know, good content out there. They get some decent content out there that, you know, uh, shows everything from what the Expendables that was a good movie. They have uh, what? Geez, Weeds. That's a pretty good successful series on yep. Showtime. So they get some good stuff out there. I, I don't know that this is necessarily. I wouldn't be buying it just because of the success of this one release. But uh, you know, that's that's good to see him doing well. Joe, third biggest opening weekend of all time. That get you just a little bit interested? Again, three yeah. more movies are coming. No, it's huge. And I think this stock could keep doing well. It's up 150% over the last year. So <laughs> you're a little late to the party if you're just now diving in. It's not the first place I'd look, but I've read the books, and we've seen how movie franchises like this work. You know, They'll get three or four movies out of this. There might be some sort of spinoff out of it. And you know, rest assured that there could be variations of these movies coming along. Yeah, A prequel. I just have to say, this is uh, it, it's rare that I'm attuned to the market in the way that you guys are. But I have to say, this is one of those cases where I am just uh, flat out an idiot because I knew this movie was going to be huge. Me my, too. I my, read the books, my, and now I'm just like, how how did I get this wrong? How did we not see it when the stock was basically trading at this like this range of like five six dollars for most of the past three years? And it's tough to spot that, though. I mean, you have to look at other companies like DreamWorks, for example. That's another one that has more or less languished in, in the you know presence of Disney's just release after release. And even though that John Carter was it was just a total bomb. I yeah. mean, I think everybody kind of saw that coming. And Disney, as quickly as they put out a bomb, you know, they're able to like re-release a princess flick and just make it all back <laughs> anyway. So yeah, that is. Uh, I mean, they are going to be re-releasing Finding Nemo this summer <laughs> in 3D. So just you didn't a total. To tell me that. Just a total. Total cash grab. Uh, Toy the, Story Eight. The new Pixar movie Brave mm-hmm. is coming out. That's that's getting a lot of early. Yeah, buzz. I did see the, the the preview for that. It looked like a good movie. So I mean, it's tough to really hold the hold a candle to what Disney does, and that's why these these uh, production you know companies don't don't quite merit the same kind of valuation. Well, and it was last Monday, Joe, we were talking about John Carter and our colleague Charlie Travers. <laughs> he used the term feast or famine. That's, you know, and that's why he stays away from the movie business because it's just it's it's a little bit of a crapshoot. Yeah, it is. It's a terrible business to be in for the <laughs> <laughs> I guess we're saying don't buy. I don't mean All right, let's move on. In a filing with the SEC, Netflix says it has dismissed KPMG and hired Ernst and Young 
to be the company's new accountant. KPMG had been Netflix's accountant for the past 10 years. Uh, Joe, uh, it was not really the filing so much as the timing of this filing that caught your attention. When did Netflix file this thing? Friday evening. <laughs> One of my favorite Friday evening routines, because I'm a cool guy, is hanging out and reading the last filings that come in before the weekend, because that's usually when companies are trying to take something out with the trash, basically. And You know how to party. <laughs> I do. I'm a wild guy. But yeah, I actually, I do sit around Friday evenings and I'll check out the most recent SEC filings, because what you'll see is companies do things like change compensation packages, quietly announce uh, golden parachutes for executives, that kind of thing. Uh, the best example I can think of is when the Glory Holdings changed Sardar's compensation package two years ago, and it was just this ridiculous compensation package, and they, they put it out Friday at 5.30. Well, and to be fair, this is not you know just the business community that does this. We've seen this from the White House over the you know past few decades, and it doesn't matter whether the occupant of the White House is a Democrat or a Republican, you know, Friday evening... Uh, Strategery. Yeah, the 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 Friday evening news dump is is well known in Washington D.C. Um, but what about this? What about the you know just sort of the you know what does that say to you about Netflix changing accountants? Because you know it's entirely possible that that's just when the deal got sealed on Friday, and they said, look, we're you know we, once the deal was finished, that's when we announced it. Right. It's not like business doesn't happen on Thursdays and Fridays. <laughs> right. And it doesn't mean that anything nefarious is happening just because a company changes its auditor. That said, it is unusual when companies change their auditor, and your auditor is the one who's basically reviewing the quality of your books and signing off on that to the public. So it is something that I watch when I see a company change auditors, if nothing else, it should make you just a little more hawkish on reviewing how the company is doing in terms of transparency and sharing operating metrics with you. Yeah, and that's just it. I mean, we know that there are going to be some operating metrics that are disappearing, and so what? You know, obviously, at can't Netflix. make any. Yeah, at Netflix. Yeah. I mean, so we can't make any accusations. But as analysts, I mean, I think we are all concerned that we're not going to have access to subscriber acquisition costs and churn figures. Um, I mean, if you look back in history, you can see over the past year, every quarter subscriber acquisition costs are going up, and now we're not going to be able to get a hold of that information. So it's 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 something definitely that that makes you look at and say, hmm, I wonder. Yeah. yeah, I mean, churn specifically is a metric that you track at pretty much any uh, membership-oriented business. Uh, the ones that pop to mind are the cell phone carriers, like a Sprint or an AT&T or Verizon. Those are companies that, when I look at the business, the first thing I cut to is these operating metrics. And I look at churn, and that's a sign of how well they're doing at pleasing customers and delivering on the promises they made to them. Not surprisingly, the best wireless carriers have the lowest rates, and the worst, namely Sprint, <laughs> consistently has the highest. Poor Sprint. <laughs> um, and so, I mean, taking these together, you have this Friday evening announcement by Netflix, and it was, uh, Jason, correct me on the timing, but it was a few months ago that Netflix, I believe, came out and said, yeah, these these operating metrics that we had previously released, we're not going to be releasing them anymore. Yeah, I believe it was their last quarterly uh, earnings announcement. And so that was something we saw and thought, wow, that's kind of... I wish we were going to still get those metrics, <laughs> but we're not. All right. So, something to be vigilant about. Right. I mean, Just keep an eye yep. on it. And if you own shares of a company and you see they consistently do use Friday, late afternoon, evening filings, it's just something to think about. And, you know. Because if this was like a, a Tuesday afternoon filing, it's, it's raising fewer eyebrows. Is that right. fair to say? Yeah. All right. Uh, you can always drop us an email, radio at fool.com. Got an email from Captain Rick. 
Trink. I hope I'm pronouncing that last name correctly. Uh, he writes, I do not miss a podcast of Market Foolery or Motley Fool Money as I travel the world. Keep up the great work. I'd love to hear you talk about this article about C-Drill. I'm a shareholder. And he linked to an article entitled C-Drill, Don't Fall for the Dividend Trap. Uh, the author writes, among other things, uh, he says that Seadrill is, quote, a company that pays dividends for no good reason. Jason, Seadrill <laughs> is a, a, a recent recommendation of Stock Advisor. Yes. Um, is, is that a fair characterization? I wouldn't say they pay dividends for no good reason. I mean, I think everybody's got a reason. I mean, you can look at Cedrill's uh, quarterly conference calls and see that management takes a lot of interest in trying to be a shareholder-friendly company. And what better way to be friends to your shareholders than putting cash in their pockets via dividends? Uh, but I think the article does raise a good point in regard to Cedrill and the dividends that they pay, because you know you either want to look at an investment as a as a potential income-generating play that's going to bring in income, uh, you know, dividend income, or something where you might realize some capital appreciation from the stock. And so I think that the article from that perspective is trying to to make note of the fact that Cedrill does pay a high dividend and that when we look at their uh, their payout ratio, which is something that compares the amount of money that they pay in dividends each year to their net income generated each year, uh, they're paying out a substantial amount of that net income in dividends. And so then the question is, can they afford this going forward? Uh, that, it's anybody's real guess. I mean, I the company does have a lot of debt on the balance sheet, but by the same token, when we go through their conference calls, we know that they are very um, confident that they'll be able to continue to afford the dividend. They talk about the investments they're making in their offshore uh, rigs. They're talking about tightening utilization rate, uh, utilization rates, which means better day rates, which means they, in theory, should make more money, which in turn should allow them to pay the dividends. Uh, that said, I don't know that you want to buy into C-Drill as specifically a dividend stock. And I think that's a fair statement. Right. And just for folks who may not know the company, it's a company that operates offshore oil rigs. Yep. Uh, it's, I think it's number, It's one of the largest. Yeah. yeah it's number two behind Transocean. Um, uh, Joe, what do you think? I mean, is that, uh, you know, we, we talk all the time about dividend stocks. Certainly, if you're, if you're buying into like a Johnson & Johnson, um, that's, you know, part of your thesis probably as an investor is, well, this is sort of a safe dividend stock. It sounds like, you know, to Jason's point, you know, the, the main thesis for buying a company like Seadrill is not the dividend. Yeah, ultra deep water rigs and band aids are pretty different business models. <laughs> uh, I don't think there's anything. I sussed that out all by myself. Yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with the model. I mean, they've been very aggressive in levering up the balance sheet and going out and buying rigs on spec. Uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, so long as when you're buying the stock, you're aware that that is the business model here, and that you know a nice perk here is that the CEO owns about 32 percent of the company, so he's investing right along with you. He's a yep. self-made billionaire highly successful. And that's basically the, the thesis behind it. It's not the dividend. And I think there's one more thing to, to note here. And then people have mentioned before about how Transocean have recently cut their dividend completely. And I want to make sure people understand that's more or less an apples to oranges comparison because Transocean is still dealing from that Gulf oil spill fallout. And there's going to be some uh, liability that they're going to have to deal with there. So from a shareholder-friendly perspective, I think that probably is a pretty reasonable uh, thing for them to do. Cedrill doesn't have any exposure to that. So when you look at you know the grand scale of the company. Yeah, maybe it's not a dividend stock, but still a solid driller nonetheless, and one worth looking at. Uh, one more email I should touch on as uh, we got some great emails about our discussion last week about Kraft 
and their new name, uh, Mondelez. Uh, one email from Graham McPherson, who writes to us in Australia. I listened with amusement last week as you wrestled with Kraft's new name. Thought you'd like to hear about Kraft's naming adventures in Australia recently. Um, and he writes about Vegemite, you know, that spread. That you Men know, at work. Men at work, <laughs> sure. Who, who hasn't heard that song and wondered what it's like to have a Vegemite sandwich? Uh, well, apparently uh, for years, Vegemite, which I guess on its own is, is not all that tasty, um, uh, young people were mixing it with cheese, and that made it better. Um, so Kraft decided Gross. to roll out <laughs> a, a Vegemite with cheese, uh, and Graham writes the product name. After running a competition to name this new delicacy, they picked, drumroll please, iSnack 2.0. This new name was quite literally front page news for days here and provided current affairs shows a week or so of great fodder. The name lasted for five days before it was changed to Cheesy Bite. <laughs> so, look, hey, as we talked about last week, Kraft, they have a track record of, the, you know, roll out a new name. If it doesn't work, change it. There's still time, Kraft Foods. You can back away from Mondelez. Yeah, I think they might need to. Yeah, I think they're going to have to. All right, Jason Moser, Joe Mager. Guys, thanks for being here. Thanks, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.